0: If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. So today I have my friend from down under on the podcast, my friend Leah Williamson from low carb conversations podcast you probably know her she's a fellow ntp she lives over in australia i really need to get my butt to australia i have a lot of great friends in australia but i've come to discover they all live really far apart australia is huge it's really big but leah like I said, is the host of Low Carb Conversations podcast, and we kind of met because Kara, who was my co-host for Straight at Paleo, my other podcast that I used to host, was prior to that also the co-host of Low Carb Conversations with Leah, and also Leah's an NTP, and we met in person at the NTA conference in, was that March? I think it was in March. But we got to meet in person then, and I've been wanting to have her on the show for a while. She knows so much about nutritional therapy, and she takes a low-carb approach, a keto approach. So she works at a clinic in Australia called My Keto Clinic, and she specializes in low-carb ketogenic diets and lifestyles, and she works with with clients from that perspective. And she's also autoimmune paleo certified and a restart instructor. She also has a lot of personal experience struggling with autoimmunity and also following a ketogenic diet. And I really love Leah's approach to keto because she focuses all on nutrient density. There are so many different ways to do keto. There's what we call dirty keto, and then there's paleo keto, and I've had a few people on the podcast who I really love their approach to the ketogenic diet because I do think there's a wrong and a right way to do it, and Leah is one person who I think really represents the right way to do keto, and so we talk a bit about keto in this interview. We also talk about nutrient density in general because that's one of the things that Leah is most passionate about and also something that I talk about a lot as well and I'm very passionate about. She also gives a lot of great tips for moms if you are currently a mom or going to become a mom and I really wanted her to touch on this during this episode too because obviously I don't have experience being a mother <laughs> or being pregnant. So I really wanted her perspective and her advice to help those of you out who are more in that stage of your life. And I think it's fascinating too. It's something that I've been learning a bit more about. Actually, I so I got my first pregnant client a few months ago. I had never had a pregnant client and then that kind of just made me want to start learning all these things about pregnancy also one of my best friends is pregnant so I've been learning more about it and pregnancy nutrition I mean there's so much that goes into this (laughs) and and also just raising children I it's it's a task so props to all you parents out there but I really wanted Leah to kind of give some advice so I think that you guys are really going to enjoy this episode but Before I hop in, something that actually Leah and I were just chatting about actually like two hours ago before I started recording this intro was clean beauty and it's something that all of us as holistic nutritionists or just anyone in the health and wellness space is becoming very well aware of the importance of using non-toxic personal care products and the amazing thing is that there are products now that not only are non-toxic and safe and actually good for you, but they perform really, really well. And at first, this whole side of the industry, there weren't that many options to pick from. Or actually, there were. There are plenty of options, but not all of them are good. And so I pride myself on finding the good non-toxic products. And one of my absolute favorite skincare products is Clear Stem. One of the things I love about Clear Stem is that it combines Eastern and Western medicine. It combines holistic skincare with science. And it focuses on anti-aging as well as anti-acne. And they have done so much research into the ingredients of this product. I don't know of any other non-toxic product on the market that is specifically targeted towards anti-acne and anti-scarring so really helping to reverse scars and improve collagen production like you might see different products that are targeted towards anti-aging in general but I don't know anything else that is targeted directly toward anti-acne and scar reversal and that is something that I really wanted to find when I switched over to non-toxic beauty and this has become a daily part of my regimen. And I know a lot of you have been trying it too and loving it, which I love. You should also definitely check out the testimonials about it and the reviews in case you want to learn more. I personally love reading reviews from other people who have used products. I think all of us who are product junkies love product reviews. But there are some really, really powerful testimonials about this product. So that can help you learn more about maybe if it would help with your skin but if you are struggling with acne or you want to prevent acne or if you want to prevent signs of aging or help to reduce slash eliminate any scarring you have left over I have a lot of scars left over from when I had cystic acne and I really want to work on those as well as prevent signs of aging and this also obviously helps to keep my skin clear which is very nice ClearStem is specifically designed to calm your skin down and reduce any inflammation. So it's going to reduce any redness on your skin. It has antibacterial properties and it's made to help stimulate your collagen production in your skin, even out any discoloration and increase the hydration in the skin. But it does it all without making your skin oily. So it actually helps to block any excess oil production in androgens, which is pretty incredible. And like I mentioned, a lot of research and science went into making this product and choosing the ingredients. And I really recommend you go to clearstemskincare.com and check out their list of Poor clogging ingredients and look at the products that you use and see if there are any poor clogging ingredients in those just to see if any products you're using right now could be causing inflammation or acne or redness in your skin that list is really really useful women have actually reported that their monthly pms havoc visibly gets reduced when they use clear stem regularly and it helps to heal active acne and scabs about three times faster And dark spots fade about three times faster thanks to that bioavailable collagen stem cells that you can find in Clear Stem. You can apply it under makeup, under other facial products. Just apply it to clean, exfoliated skin so that it can really soak in. It hydrates your skin, like I said, without leaving any oil or moisture on it. It really, really sinks in very quickly and you can layer other things on top. I love Love, love how soft it makes my skin feel immediately. I would probably use it just for that, even if it didn't have any of these other benefits. But I have definitely noticed that it really reduces the redness in my skin. Like the only times I really break out now are if I eat something that I know inflames me. And when I use my clear stem, the redness goes down so much, which is really helpful. And I notice that my zits go away way faster. So, I'm loving this product. Also, just seriously loving that it really helps to reverse scarring. It is a game changer. I'm actually going to do a post, if it's not already up soon, about my tactics for reducing acne scarring. And this is a main product that's included in that because there are non-toxic safe ways to get rid of any acne scarring. So if you're curious about Clear Stem, you want to learn more or try it out, Go to clearstemskincare.com and you can use the discount code wellness for $15 off, which is the biggest discount I think they give out. So again, my discount code is wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, and that will get you $15 off of the product. And if you try it out, I would love to hear your experience, how much you're loving it. You could post about it. In the Facebook group, let me know how it's going and let other people know your experience as well. So again, clearstemskincare.com, you should at least check out their list of pore clogging ingredients on the website that can help you figure out if there are any ingredients in the products you use currently that might be aggravating your skin and check everything out from there. So now that I've let you know a bit about Clear Style, one of my favorite skincare products, I think it's about time we hop into this interview with Leah. She's an incredible woman. I seriously love her. You have to check her out on her podcast, Low Carb Conversations. I've been on that podcast. We had a really fun episode. We talked about carnivore. It was interesting. <laughs> but Leah's the best. You can also find her on her website, nourishingconversations.com and Instagram at Nourishing Conversations. She is super knowledgeable, and I think you guys are going to absolutely love this. So without further ado, let's just hop into this chat with Leah Williamson. Hello, Leah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited that you're on. We had such a fun chat when I was on Low Carb Conversations, and I've been wanting to have you on my podcast for a while, so I'm glad we made it work because – we have such a big time difference. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's right. I'm here in down under as you Americans call us.
0: (laughs) I know. And everything sounds better with your accent. I swear.
1: (laughs) That's what I think about you guys as well.
0: Really? Yeah. That's so funny. I feel like we have ugly accents. (laughs) What, What part of Australia are you in?
1: I'm in Brisbane, which is kind of the, it's on the east coast and it's kind of halfway up the coast or kind of more to mid higher up the coast, I guess okay. is the, the best way to put it. We're above Sydney and Melbourne.
0: Like how far away from those?
1: Sydney's about an hour flight and Melbourne's about a two and a bit hour flight.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. See, everything's so far apart. I was talking to my other friend who's from australia too because i was like maybe i should do an australia trip and visit all my friends yeah i'm finding out that they're all like hours apart via flight and i'm like wow australia is huge
1: (laughs) you need a round the world ticket just for australia
0: yeah basically but (laughs) i'll try and make it work but okay yeah can you let my audience know a little bit about you if they're not familiar with you what you do
1: Okay, well, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I'm also an associate instructor for the Nutritional Therapy Association in Australia here, and I work in a clinic called My Keto Clinic, which helps people, guides them through keto programs, basically, and I more with a focus around helping them troubleshoot any issues that they might have because we have functional doctors working with us myself as a nutritional therapy practitioner and it's a great little hub and I also have a website and see clients one on one or in uh online called nourishing conversations.
0: Yes, and you like since working in the clinic how are you liking that? How is that different than just doing one on
1: one? Oh, I love it. It's If you could write down what my dream job is, I'd say, yeah, definitely working in a clinic, this clinic. Uh, It's just different because I have, you know, like it's rather than working by yourself, sitting in an office, kind of talking to yourself all day, you are around a bunch of people and you can um, share ideas with one another. It's really collaborative. And these programs that we're putting them through, making sure that people are really doing it in a correct manner, because there's as you probably know and your audience there's multiple different ways you can come at these low carbohydrate diets.
0: Mhm. So is everyone who comes to you always put on a low carb diet?
1: Well, our focus is ketogenic diets. Mm-hmm. So if if they're having trouble going on a low carb diet, then we will look what the underlying issue is and we use a for- various forms so you know myself as a nutritional therapy practitioner can do the functional testing on them that we do or we can uh, send for blood tests and have the blood tests analysed as well, so we can see what the issue might be.
0: Okay. And is there like a a specific type of clientele, like a like the most pe- like I don't know a health issue that most people coming to you are struggling with, or is it kind of all over the board?
1: I think it's all over the board, but predominantly most people are looking for weight loss, mm-hmm. which we know isn't the main focus of. Uh, low carbohydrate diets. It's actually a good side effect of it. But I think when you talk to them about what their underlying reason is, they're tired and they want to have energy again and they want to feel vibrant again. And that's what we focus on.
0: Do you feel like their nutrition is the main part of that or is it,
1: I mean, is it lifestyle more? I think that, nutrition is a great starting point. It's something that they're able to do easily and control as well as while they're doing that and removing some of the inflammation from their their body, it removes the inflammation from their mind and they can see more clearly and then think of ways that they can reduce some of their busy lifestyle as well.
0: Mhm. I think that this is it's good for us to maybe talk about this for a second and clarify for people because a lot of people are looking for weight loss. Um, and maybe you can like reiterate why you don't focus specifically on weight loss. Like what should people be focusing on if they want weight loss?
1: People should be focusing on, well, their health first. Mm -hmm. So weight loss is a byproduct, sorry, weight gain is a byproduct of something underlying that's been happening in the body. And when you focus on the weight loss, you're not actually addressing what that specific issue is. So I know myself, I've been through a weight loss journey. I focused years on just losing weight and I would yo-yo, diet, uh, you name a diet, I've probably tried it over the years only to put weight back on again where when I started focusing on having more energy, being more available for my children, being able to keep up with them, the side effect of that then became losing weight as I was focusing on Getting healthy and addressing my underlying issues, which was Hashimoto's, my auto autoimmune condition.
0: Mm. Can let's back up and talk more about like your health journey. So, when did you find out you had Hashimoto's?
1: I actually found out in my early 20s, which is quite young. But I think I had problems ever since I was a child. I was always the chubby kid in school. I was teased and kind of bullied a lot and, you know, I had low self-confidence because of that and I turned to food to comfort eat and for years I would kind of sit on the couch and watch TV and read books because I didn't feel like going out and interacting with other people. I had some friends but, you know, not what I would say, made me feel you know like going out and having them that wasn't until um teenage years I started developing some really cool friends who kind of taught me that didn't matter what you looked like we were friends anyway um uh, but because I was so tired all the time you know people always commented oh you're in a bad mood or you're so tired all the time and I uh, think <laughs> thinking back to those times it was really the Hashimoto's coming into play there so when I found out in my early 20s I was just like oh this is amazing. There's actually a reason why I feel this way. And I thought that I'd just take, you know, the the tablet and everything would be fine, but I still felt like you know, not the the greatest. I still didn't feel fantastic. I still uh, was gaining weight, I still was tired, and it wasn't until I actually found real food and a paleo way of eating that that changed everything for me.
0: Okay, and then so What about what brought you to like nutritional therapy? Just was that just finding healing on your own and
1: then wanting to share with other people? So once I found paleo, we started a meetup group because at the time there was actually a point in time I don't know if you can believe it or not that people (laughs) did not know about paleo. (laughs) You know
0: what? There are still people who don't know about paleo, and it shocks me. What? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Unbelievable. They I must know. be like You're living, living at in at a cave rock. or something. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're the real pa- paleo person. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, so when that all came about, when we, when I, I lost 30 kilograms, which I'm sorry I'm not sure what's in pounds, just by cleaning up my diet and, and following a paleo lifestyle, I was mm-hmm. so passionate about it. I was like, I need to get out there and tell everyone about it. And at the same time, Jimmy Moore was touring Australia and I saw him and he was like, if you've got a story to share or, you know, you need to tell people, we need to get the word out. You need to start a blog. You need to start a meetup group. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do all of that. <laughs> so I started a blog called Brisbane Paleo Family, which was about our family's journey through eating paleo. And we started the meetup group. And so this meetup group, there was like 10 of us when we first started and we'd meet in secret at the back of a cafe and we'd sit around <laughs> and share this, you know, secretive stories about, can you believe it? Today I ate. Steak and some butter and some, you know, vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is crazy. Like, you know, it it cracks the cracks like, <laughs> I know. Like, we had to, like, we felt like we were real outsiders, which is why we started the meetup group. And the meetup group eventually grew to have, we've got over a thousand members in it and we do potluck picnics and events and movie nights and all kinds of different things. It's a really great community. And now we have lots more people because it's you know, a lot more people know about Paleo now. That sounds
0: so fun. Like now I want to start a meetup group.
1: Yeah, it is so much fun. Like and you just bounce off other people who have been through it. Like that meeting that we had the first one, we sat around and we shared our stories of how we'd gained our health back. And there was a lady I always remember who she had been I think she had like fibromyalgia or something like that. So she was always in so much pain. And she thought that she would never work again. She thought that she would never walk again, like she was heading for a wheelchair kind of situation. She never she never thought that she would be normal. And then within a few weeks of cleaning up her diet and eating paleo, she felt better and didn't have any pain. And she was so scared to tell anybody that this change had happened because she thought that it wasn't real and it was going to come back, that she lived without any pain for a year before mm-hmm. telling people that it was paleo that had helped her just by cleaning up her diet. Wow. Can you believe that?
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because it's like, why do we feel this need to hide that?
1: Exactly. You know, and so that's why I be, I decided to, I need to get the word out there. I need to help more people. And, you know, through the meetup group, I, met Leanne Scott, who's the Australia-New Zealand lead instructor for Nutritional Therapy Association. And she invited me to come and sit in one of the uh, back of the classroom. And it was the first year of nutritional therapy practitioners coming through Australia. And Gray Graham was our instructor. And so... (laughs) Wow, OG. That is OG. (laughs) It's so cool. And so I walked into this room and... They were teaching the palpation points for thyroid where we're pressing down on the points. And because I have a history with thyroid and I was telling all these things, all these clinical bombs about it, I was just sitting there going, I've found my people. This, This is my tribe. This is amazing. Like these people totally get what I'm passionate about. And so I enrolled the next year and that's why I became a nutritional therapy practitioner.
0: Amazing. So I'm curious like what you tried before paleo. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, what didn't I try? I I often say I tried all of them except for the lemon detox diet. It had to have kind of food in it for me to <laughs> want to try it. I couldn't just drink something through a straw or, you know, that kind of thing. But I did the typical Weight Watchers numerous times, so low-fat, mm-hmm. calorie counting. You know, I went through all of those. And some of the sometimes I'd have great success, but that was mainly because I was – reducing all the other processed foods out of my diet and calorie restricting, but it would only last for a short term and then I'd put more weight back on again after that. So yeah, I tried, I even tried a gluten-free diet. I went, I I did try vegetarian, raw, vegan, didn't last very long because all the raw foods just really upset my digestion system a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so I kind of tried... Most of those things, I'd you know read those magazines as well, which is the worst thing to do—the women's magazines yeah. and follow that diet that they have in the middle middle section of that. Um, I, yeah, I was gonna ask
0: if you had tried veganism or vegetarian, but that makes sense with the digestion. Um, yes, I, I'm curious. Was it scary for you to do paleo, where it's suddenly no calorie counting and probably a lot more food than you were? eating on those other types of diets.
1: It wasn't scary because I've always had a problem with gluten and mm. this just made so much sense. And I think I actually felt more freedom about it because I was like, what? I don't have to count this. I don't have to measure it. I don't have to like I'm just eating this real food and I started feeling really good within a couple of weeks. So that's when I said to my husband, who's very supportive, but has never had a weight issues, quite lean. I said to him, oh, I want to try this paleo diet. Can we eat this way? And he's like, another diet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But he he actually felt fantastic as well. Like he got a lot of energy out of it. So that made it even easier when you have a supportive partner. Yeah. Uh, It just made it so much easier. And then At the time my son was born, I started looking at his lunchbox and I was literally giving him tiny teddies, apple juice. um, Oh, do you know what tiny teddies are? They're like little kind of little biscuits. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys have Little cookies, yeah. (laughs) I might, you know, Vegemite sandwich. and (laughs) (laughs) But all those kind of um, things, when you look at it, it was like, I think the healthiest thing I had in his lunchbox was a piece of fruit. And the rest of it was just like sugar, like carbohydrates, like, you know, just really bad. And he was having, starting to have behavioral issues. And so by us cleaning up our diet, we then, you know, did the same for him. And we noticed such a difference with him. And then my daughter, when she was born, we were already paleo. And she has the widest palate you could imagine. Like she drinks sauerkraut juice from the jar. She loves real food. So. Yeah, she was born into it, so she really embraces it. And how, do your kids ever eat gluten? Yeah, I'm. You know, they do, and but in moderation. I hate that word moderation, though. Now <laughs> that I just said that, <laughs> what does moderation mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, if we are out somewhere and they want to try something and experiment it, or if we're at a birthday party or anything like that, I allow them to go and try the foods that are there, and some of that might be gluten. Uh, but when we're at home, we try to eat as gluten-free as possible. But when they eat it, if they say they're eating like a real sugary bun or something like that or, you know, at a birthday party, we talk about how they feel afterwards because I think if you stop them from having something all together, I know both my children are very headstrong, they're more likely to go and do it anyway. And once I saw my son, I must have told him to stop eating whatever was on this table. And I saw him like sitting around the corner, shoving another cupcake into his mouth. And I thought, oh no, I'm not going to do that to them. I don't want him to go through like what I went through as a child, feeling ashamed of eating food because I might get fat from it or knowing that I shouldn't be eating that kind of stuff. So I don't want him to feel that way. I want him to make his own decisions based on how he feels when he eats those foods.
0: Yeah. So what, what tips do you have for people when they're raising children and they want to make sure that they're not turning food into like a good or bad thing and making sure that their kids are able to make those decisions for themselves.
1: Yeah, I think educating is an important key. So we'll have often put when we're home having uh, like a lunch on a Saturday or a Sunday, we'll put all the foods on the table like a platter and get them to pick off what they want. And if they don't choose something, we kind of ask them, why don't you want to taste that? And, mm-hmm. you know, my son will always say, cause it's green. <laughs> and we'll be like, but did you know green is really good for, you know, all the cells in your body? You need these to digest. You need, you know, like kind of give them the education points around it and just say, well, maybe you just want to have a little taste and he'll taste it and he'll spit it back out and we'll say, well, what didn't you like about it? And he'll be like, oh, it's bitter. And I'll say, oh, well, bitter is very good for digestion. How about you just have a little bit of it, and he'll he'll decide whether he wants to or not, or we'll just keep putting it back out until one day (laughs) he eventually wants it. And the other thing that I think is really important is leading by example. So I'm not going to sit there and eat a cake. Not that I'd be eating a cake, but you know I'm not (laughs) going to sit there and eat a cake or hot chips or anything in front of them, and then tell them they can't eat that food as well. So kids are very monkey see monkey do. They really you know, like listen and look up to you and they're listening more than people realize. And so they will lead by your example.
0: Yeah. The other thing is like, I would like to talk a little bit about when they're even younger, like when they're first born, those first few years of development, because I feel like there's, it's so important when they're setting up their microbiome and their immune system. Um, And I'm wondering like, if you have anything to share surrounding that like important tips for mothers to take into consideration because that's, like, definitely not my area of expertise, but I feel like it's such a critical time when we look at kind of how food allergies and intolerances develop, um, the, mm-hmm. like, and so I'm wondering kind of what your take is on important steps to take during that period of time when they are first born through the first few years of life, like, is there anything that you think mothers should make sure they do or make sure they avoid?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think even back to if you know you're going to conceive prior, like the first few years beforehand is just really prepping your body ready for that as well, because it does make a difference uh, when you're even thinking about conceiving. Um, And then once you're pregnant with the baby than just, you know, nurturing yourself with as much real foods as possible. I think during that time, because you are growing another body, you might need to eat more frequently. You might need to add in some good carbohydrates like sweet potatoes and um, those kind of good things. Uh, then when your baby is being born, I have to say, actually, just a side story there, I had the worst morning sickness ever imaginable. Uh, for 20 weeks for both my children. Oh, my god. So I could not hold down any food. It was day and night. It was horrible. Um, And all I wanted was Vegemite on toast, good old Australian (laughs) food. Uh, And I thought, oh, this is is terrible. I can't even hold down anything. And I searched the Internet everywhere trying to find what I should do because I'm paleo but I really want this toast and blah, blah, blah. And I read this amazing article by Mark Sisson and it just said – like, you know, just treat yourself with care during this time because that's the most important thing. But where you can paleo your foods. So if you feel like mac and cheese, then get a gluten free macaroni, get your good quality cheese and um, cook some egg through it. You mm-hmm. know, try nutrient dense your foods as much as possible. And when I read that, I felt so relieved. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been putting all this pressure on myself that I'm not eating as well as I should be because I feel so sick, but how do I get it into me? So the, after I read that, I just started adding broth to everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I would have a gluten-free toast and just maybe put some avocado on it or something like that just to get me through that period. And then once I felt fine, I just continued to eat the foods, uh, the good foods. And then um, then after giving birth, it's really important during that time because uh, basically – you know, you're caring for yourself and the baby, uh, what goes through your breast milk is what the baby is is eating, if you're able to breastfeed. Some people aren't able to, and I'll give some tips around that if you're, if you're not able to. But um, so if you're feeding yourself with nutrient-dense good foods, then the baby is obviously going to be um, getting those foods in as well. And I remember with my son, I was drinking milk at the time in just one coffee, like one decaf coffee a day with milk in it. And he was getting really bad reflux and I couldn't understand why. And I was talking to one of my people in the paleo group and they're like, are you still having milk? And I said, yeah, I do have milk I'm just in my coffee. And they were like, well, that's probably the reason. Why don't you give it a try? And we took it out. And after that, he was fine.
0: Oh, wow. So you
1: could, you could definitely see the difference of what I was consuming was being passed onto him. That's in my example. And then um, I know some people aren't able to breastfeed, so, you know, there are – I'm not going to go into all the different alternatives of milk and things like that that you can do for the baby, but – uh, with my daughter, I did. I had to do a companion. I didn't have enough breast milk coming through. I think my thyroid at the time wasn't feeling wasn't great, so I continued to feed her, but I supplemented with a with a formula. And I'm I'm quite happy to admit that, even though I'm all about real food, you've just got to do what you can do at the time. Mm-hmm. And and so when she was able to have her first foods, I made sure her first foods were as nutrient dense as possible. So she got a lot of bone broth mixed in with her veggies. And um, there's some controversy around egg, but I gave her egg. I did not feed her that rice kind of cereal stuff that has no nutritional value in it (laughs) whatsoever. I think that also sets up the baby's palate for having bland tastes. There's some studies around the more foods that you can introduce in the first two years of their life, the more variety and the more different tastes, the more receptive they are to be able to try different things. And I think that was so true for my children because my son, his first food was that rice cereal. Mm -hmm. He's got a very bland palate, doesn't quite like experimenting as much where my daughter, she is quite, you know, she she didn't have, she had the bone broth as her first food. She's tried all different kinds of things. And so, yeah, she's more into it, uh, trying different things.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And it it makes sense. And I think, something else actually I was talking to someone about was I mean like I said I don't really pay attention to all this cuz I'm not at that stage in my life but I didn't realize it was so controversial to have babies just immediately start eating whole foods um I think it's I called know. like baby led feeding or something Yeah um, baby led weaning yeah. yeah yeah like did you do that or what is your opinion on that whole thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to laugh because it makes me me remember about my daughter. Um, so we started off with a few pureed kind of things with her. And then this I'd read a bit about baby led weaning and I was like, oh, I'd like to just try a few of those things. So basically from my understanding of it is you just have the food on the table and if the baby picks it up and wants to try it, you'd let them try it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always remember she would pick up these foods, but because they're, you know, they don't have that, Mastication development, they don't have teeth, they're not yeah. like kind of able to chew like we are. She would store all the food in this side pocket of her cheek and <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a little remember.
1: chipmunk, yeah, like a chipmunk. And I think that she was like kind of swallowing the soft foods down. Uh-huh. And then I'd look into her mouth and I'd be pulling out, like, Oh, she's picked up a whole carrot off the table, how did she get that? <laughs> so, um. I don't know if I was doing baby-led weaning wrong or whether that's how you do it, but it was kind of, yeah, a bit funny for us because she would always just store it in their side pocket.
0: That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I didn't even know this is a whole controversial thing and I was talking to my hairstylist actually about it because she was saying how her mother-in-law is really offended that she does this. But, I mean, in terms of evolution, it makes sense to me. I mean, like babies, they didn't have blunders – You know, back back in the caveman days, like the babies had to just eat what was what was there, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, and And, they probably were breastfed until they were quite old mm -hmm. as well. If they weren't able to get the food, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into the ancestral practices of those days for (laughs) baby led weaning. Yeah, but um, yeah, it does make sense. And I mean, it's all about experimentation and monkey see, monkey do, like I was saying before. So having them at the table with you while you're having dinner really sets those good foundations and practices in as well. Like I have this thing, we call it like the ceremony of eating, but it's basically just getting back to how you would just sit around the table with your family. And we have dinner at a particular time. Everybody's home for dinner. We might make a bit of a thing out of it. The kids and I have been home. We might set the table. We might pick some flowers from the garden. We sit down and we, turn off all the electronic devices and we have that connection with one another and so there's no point leaving the baby out of that as well so we always had yeah the baby at the table with us at all times
0: I love that I'm curious okay so because you follow a ketogenic diet right yeah so do you like worry at all about macronutrients for the kids or do you just as long as it's whole food it's fine
1: So even with my doing a keto diet, everything for me is always about real food first. Yeah. So I tend not to be so hung up on counting macronutrients, but more so long as we break it down, it's always one protein, one fat, two to three veg. That's how the basis of all our meals are. And so with the kids, it's all about, yeah, real food. I don't, I do sometimes get a little bit concerned if they want a lot of you know, processed food or not that we have a lot, that a lot, a lot, but if we have been somewhere and they've had a fair bit of food, I will make sure that their next meal is so nutrient dense and good for them. You know, they've had some bone broth in there just to kind of balance it out, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, do you like, what about fruit? Do you give them fruit?
1: Yeah, I give them fruit. So in their lunch boxes, they'll have berries. So, uh, we get like beautiful blueberries or raspberries and strawberries. They love all those ones. Kiwi fruit. I think. Do you call it kiwi fruit? Yeah, we, call we it. do. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiwi fruit's a good one. They love. Um, and my daughter will eat that with the skin on. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, sometimes I put in there a banana every now and for now and then for them. We've got apples at home from time to time. It's we very seasonally we have a spray free fruit and veg box that gets delivered so we're only eating what's in season and whatever fruit goes along with that. Yeah.
0: I want, I need one of those. I wish.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: (laughs) That's true. Well, that makes sense. So, okay. Let's talk about more about how like you found keto.
1: Okay. So, you know, I was going along doing the paleo thing. I was feeling good. I lost the weight. And then I had found myself with two children and a busy lifestyle and (laughs) things just started feeling a little bit kind of not so great as they were. And I found myself out at the cafe ordering the paleo cake on the menu and really craving those kind of um, sweet uh, paleo treats, uh, as you as you would know. And so then I was kind of like, oh, I'm not feeling so great anymore. And then uh, I'd been seeing a lot around um, ketogenic coming out and I thought, well, that makes sense. I don't think I'm burning fat for fuel anymore. I think I'm definitely a paleo sugar burner. Uh, (laughs) Even though I'm eating (laughs) good foods, I think that, um, you know, I could probably be eating a bit better. And so I gave uh, keto a try and then I started feeling like so much better. I had more energy and, yeah, just feeling like, back to normal again, I I started feeling really fantastic. And I think the main difference was I got rid of all those um, paleo treats I was having. I actually wasn't eating enough fat, I I realized. So uh, I predominantly do dairy free. And so when I was doing paleo, I wasn't eating hardly any fats. So I put butter back into my diet, which I find that I'm okay with a bit of butter back in. And that was definitely a good, made a good difference. And Got rid of some of the, like we were probably having sweet potato with every meal, those kind of things, and I'm I, I don't mind having those kind of um, good carbohydrates, but I think for me personally, it just wasn't working.
0: Yeah, um, I'm curious, like who's when we talk about keto? <laughs> there's so many different versions of keto. Mm-hmm. And was there someone whose version of keto you tested out first, or like where were you kind of getting your in- initial information from?
1: Well, I love doing programs, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I've tried a few different programs over the time. So I tried keto on my own. I felt that I wasn't wasn't probably doing it correctly, so I actually did um, Sean Minor's program, Fat Burning Females, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Like she's all about real food as well. It's just a fantastic program. There's no calorie counting or, you know, macro counting or anything like that in it. So I felt like uh, it was more holistic and paleo-ish, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. felt, it felt that kind of freedom again for me. So that one I really resonated resonated with. Uh, And then I have tried keto gains as well. Mm -hmm. And keto gains are more on the more on the more protein side, and I was doing that in conjunction with a bit of a weightlifting program with them, and I quite enjoyed that. It was it was different. So um, I, now I kind of do a blend of the both together. Yeah, I'm
0: curious. <laughs> so that works for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious more about like what you found works for you specifically.
1: I find a bit better if I have a little bit more protein. So I feel like I operate a bit more better on protein. I don't gorge on lots of fat. I don't eat uh, heaps of dairy. I focus more on the nutrient density of the food because nutrient-dense foods are obviously more satiating and filling. And so I love my veggies. I, I wouldn't give those up. And, yeah, I just kind of do a blend like that. So a bit more protein. I still keep my carbs, I guess, around the 30 grams. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's like a huge salad. That's like a huge plate of green leafy veg, which I just love.
0: Yeah. Do you ever carb up? Uh,
1: sometimes if I'm feeling a bit hormonal and I want to reach for some chocolate, I might put a bit of sweet potato in with my dinner Mm -hmm. that night. I kind of do it intuitively now, kind of know where my body's going through a change or, or burning some more energy than normal, then I might add a bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah sweet potato back in
0: yeah that makes sense I would love to talk about like because I know you tried keto on your own before you found Sean's program and I would love to talk about maybe some of the mistakes you realized you were making like were you do you still think you were still not enough fat
1: um I probably I probably wasn't doing enough fat and when I was looking at That at the time, I have to remember back, but I think for some reason, I always think I'll just add dairy back in, (laughs) which I know that I don't really tolerate it very well. And so I kind of find myself adding, uh, you know, more cheese back in when I wouldn't normally have cheese. And then my stomach doesn't really like that. So then I kind of pull back away from that. So I guess it was hard initially just trying to work out which fats my body was going to tolerate and trying to work out the best of those. Um, My protein and my carbs have always been like my ve- leafy veg and stuff like that's always been pretty good since paleo days mm-hmm. so it's probably more around the fat that I was struggling with and uh and the good sources of fat that I need that aren't dairy
0: yeah I find that with the paleo going too low and fat is like a common one but part of me can't really wrap my head around it because I'm like confused. Are people just not cooking anything in oil? Like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I guess I've always used oil. I, I, I like to cook with butter a lot, so uh-huh. we've yeah. always kind of done that. But I don't think I was adding additional fat to anything. Okay.
0: That makes sense. And I think that most people do that. Um, yeah. And they don't really realize it. And a lot of them end up in, like, what Sean calls low carb purgatory, you know, like mm-hmm. where you're low carb and low fat, because, I mean, a paleo diet in general is is low carb relative to the like the regular standard way of eating. Diet. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, that's
1: that's definitely true, and that's one of my kind of peeves that I have is there's so much division in the paleo and keto and low carbohydrate community. Around whether paleo is low carb or not, you know, you'll often hear people who are, oh, I do keto and paleo is not low carb, but compared to the standard diets of you know of Australia and America and around, it is low carb, you know, mm-hmm. and I th- I feel like we could categorise all these ways of eating into low carb, and all band together and really fight against these dietary guidelines, which is where who the real enemy is. I
0: totally agree. I think people – there's a lot of silly fighting in like the low-carb space and I think everyone is so busy arguing over over that versus like looking at, okay, who do we really want to crowd out? And that's people who are eating processed, super high-carb foods.
1: Exactly. We want to educate them. We want to tell them, you know, but the only way that they're going to listen to that is if the dietary guidelines change
0: mm-hmm.
1: or – the dietary guidelines become obsolete yeah. because people are proving to them that there's other ways of eating other than this ridiculousness of, you know, five serves of bread a day or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I want to kind of talk about some of the things in the low carb community that I see. Um as I love I love your approach to things and like one thing that we touched on already was just your emphasis on nutrient density. Um, And I think a lot of people who are doing keto, for instance, aren't focusing on that. So could you share more about like why that's so important and kind of what, what that whole philosophy is for you?
1: Yeah, well, I love nutrient density. I think the whole, the whole reason around it is that when you eat nutrient dense foods, you're filling your body full of the micronutrients that you need to thrive. And the micronutrients are, you know, your minerals and your vitamins, which are essential. We place so much focus on Macronutrients, like which is important as well, like you know, getting good quality protein, getting good quality carbohydrates, getting good quality fats, they all make a, a difference. But, um, it's the micronutrients inside those that really help you to thrive. And these days, it's hard to get micronutrients in because of things like crop depletion, we just don't eat the same foods that we once used to eat, uh, all of these things are kind of, you know, depleting our micronutrient ratios. And it's, there's some shocking statistics around that, that show that just our recommended daily intake of things like vitamin E or zinc, which zinc is essential for our immune systems, people aren't getting the recommended daily amounts of those. And those nutrient dense foods that contain those are things like Awful, so I'm pretty sure you're spot on on getting your <laughs> nutrient density.
0: I have been accused um, we- of of eating too many organ meats. <laughs> oh, what?
1: <laughs> I know. I don't think you can eat too much.
0: I don't think so either. <laughs> I think they're just jealous, honestly.
1: I think also when you're choosing nutrient-dense foods, they are more filling and more satiating, so you don't need to eat as much mm-hmm. food either. So there's there's no way that you could be eating too much offal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's no problem. Um, and so, you know, also things like seafood. We don't tend to eat a lot of seafood these days, um, mainly because people don't know how to cook it properly or prepare it. But the other thing is people are concerned about the oceans and the water that, and how the fish are farmed. Like there's been a lot of, you know, information put out around those things, so people are a bit more shy. Also, for an average family, uh, just ordering, you know, four pieces of salmon for the family can cost you Two times the amount of what you would be ordering steak. So, uh, just you know, it's expensive to buy these good quality this good quality seafood, which is what I think a lot of people tend to shy away from it. And the other thing is just making sure you get enough veggies in as well. So I'm I talk about veggies constantly all the time. I really think that, you know, one downside of a low carbohydrate diet is that people aren't eating their veggies so that they can fit it into their micro uh, their macronutrients for the day, and you know, something like beetroot or beets, as you guys call it. Mm-hmm. They're so they're so essential when you're having a high fat diet to help thin the bile, you need be- beets in the system, help that digestion. And people aren't eating beets because the, apparently it's too sweet and too high in carbohydrates. And I just think, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, come on, a little bit of grated beets just to help you digest properly isn't going to push you over your macronutrient range for the day. And if it And if you're worried about that, then I think that you have other issues that are happening there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm very passionate about nutrient density because some people can do keto or or whatever it is that you're doing in a very bad way. So I've just heard about dirty keto. We just interviewed about that on the podcast recently where basically you can eat whatever you want so long as it fits into your macronutrient range for the day. Uh, Have you heard about that? No, but I don't like it. No. Well, it just means that you could be eating anything like, oh, well, this hamburger fits into my macronutrient range for the day with mm-hmm. this trans fat bowl of chips. And then I don't eat again for the rest of the day or, or what? Like, I think it's a really not a great way to go about it. And you're not going to end up feeling healthy or get the benefits of the, of the diet if you're eating that way.
0: Yeah. Well, there are also a lot of people right now, I think I was hearing about this at the last. Low, what was it? It wasn't, it was like low carb Breckenridge or something. Um, and they were talking about how so there's a whole camp of people saying that quality doesn't matter as much as just getting your macros right. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what your opinion is on that because basically they're saying that a lot of people aren't doing like low carbohydrate, ketogenic, or, or even just pillow diets because they can't afford grass-fed meat, wild-caught fish. And they're saying like that the quality of the meat and fish doesn't matter. It's just that you're getting like the protein and the fat. And I'm curious what your opinion is on that.
1: I think you already know what my opinion <laughs> would be on that. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that, again, you're just missing out on those vital micronutrients when you're choosing those foods. And you know, if your priority is health and well being and feeling fantastic, which is probably why you've embarked down that route, Mm -hmm. then I don't think you're gonna feel fantastic forever if you're just choosing poor quality foods that don't contain the minerals and vitamins that you need.
0: Yeah. So okay, here's the question. If someone was choosing between doing like a keto or low carb approach, but it wasn't gonna be high quality food versus whole foods, high quality food, and it's a higher carbohydrate content, what, what do you think would be better for their health?
1: Oh, well, I guess if they can tolerate the higher carbohydrates, and if we're talking about whole food carbohydrates, I think that might be the better option to get the more nutrient dense foods in. And then naturally, you probably wouldn't want so much food anyway, if you're choosing nutrient density, mm-hmm. because you would feel fuller. Whereas the kind of the empty foods that you're choosing just to fit into your macronutrients and poor quality, I don't think that you might – I don't think that you're going to feel as good all the time. But in saying that, either of those choices to me would still be better than eating a burger from McDonald's or something like that.
0: Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Um, well back to, so, I mean, youth obviously think getting plenty of vegetables is important. So, but do you ever run into issues with like clients or people who are scared to get vegetables in general because of the carbohydrates?
1: Yeah, I, I get that all the time. And yeah, I just have to really work with them to say, you know, explain the importance of nutrient density and give them good options to put in. Like, uh, I I never really liked celery until I saw your celery <laughs> fries recipe, which I just love. And I've got a link to your blog that I send out to my clients when they're looking oh at adding gosh. more veggies into their diet.
0: Thank you. Because it's,
1: no, well, it's it's such a good recipe. It's so simple and yeah. it makes celery taste good, which I don't really like the taste of celery, but when I eat it fr- um, on the oven or we do it on the barbecue, yeah. it's great.
0: I know it tastes like a totally different vegetable. I, I gave it to my mom last time I was home and her eyes just got huge. And she goes, what is that? And I was like, it's celery. And she goes, oh my gosh, I thought I hated celery. I need to, I need to roast it. And I was like, yeah, you got to try it new ways.
1: Yeah, that's so great. And then the other thing is too, I'll kind of get them to make something like beet hummus. So, you know, mm. you just beetroot with some tahini and garlic. And I put a little bit of bone broth concentrate into that just for some extra nutrient density and blend that up takes like two seconds to make you can even get i don't know if you guys get them but we can get beets that are already pre-cooked in their own juice so it doesn't have anything else in it. i
0: only buy those
1: because i don't know how to
0: make them the other way (laughs) yeah and i
1: mean there you go you've got beet hummus it's so quick you can either have it as a side through your salad or you can get some veggie sticks and eat with it and immediately you're adding more veggies to your to your diet
0: yeah. That sounds delicious. I'm, I'm curious. Okay. We kind of touched, cause you said a lot of people come for weight loss, um, to the clinic with keto. And like, I know this is something that's debated a lot in the community too, is some people say you shouldn't go high fat, like to lose weight because you want your body to burn your, 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 your body's fat versus dietary fat. And that other people Mm -hmm. say, no, you need to make sure you get enough dietary fat, that it's different fat and, you know, to lose fat, you got to eat more fat. And I'm curious what your opinion is on that.
1: I kind of prescribe to the thoughts around uh, Maria and Craig Emmerich. Do you know that those Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. and In Craig's book, I think it's called Keto, uh, he's got a table in there which talks about oxidative priority of the body and how it burns through. And the first priority the body burns through is alcohol. And then the second one is exogenous ketones. Then I think protein, carbohydrates, and fats. So if you're drinking alcohol, if weight loss is your priority and you're drinking alcohol, taking ketones, eating high carbs, eating lots of protein and eating high dietary fat, your body has to burn through all of that before it will burn through your body fat stores. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of that, then it makes sense to me that, okay, so while you're trying to move over into being a fat burner or burn and lose weight, then get rid of the alcohol. Don't focus on taking ketones. Uh, like focus on burning your own body's ketones eating a low-carbohydrate, moderate-protein, high-ish-fat diet, I think, is the the key. But overeating fat to get into ketosis while you're trying to lose body fat isn't going to work in that situation.
0: Okay, interesting. But do you find that people need to eat higher fat than they expect to get into ketosis initially? Uh,
1: I think everybody does. We've been told for so many years to eat low fat. Like yeah. I was the queen of low fat diets, as I was saying before. And it takes your body to, a while to adjust to eating fat again. So you can either take an approach where you step yourself up into the fat, so that you're you know slowly having a bit more each day or you know each week to get to build up what your fat tolerance is, and then kind of sit at that level. Um, I think you can do that, or you can just go at it and see how the body responds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah.
0: Do you think that everybody should should follow a ketogenic diet?
1: Um, I think that everybody should follow a low-carbohydrate diet in mm-hmm. whatever works for you. So while I do know there's a lot of people that keto doesn't do well for, I wouldn't want to label people into specific categories. Like I know I've just said low carbohydrate, but we know that inside of that realm there's lots of bioindividuality individuality and how you can come at it. I think that the way, you know, the, Australian, or the American and the Australian instead of diets, they don't work. So we need to focus our attention on other ways. But if you – yeah, if you just wanted to eat intuitively and eat, and eat nutrient-dense food, that is always my first and foremost eating real food inside of that, which will be naturally lower in carbohydrate anyway. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then if there's a reason why you can't get into keto or you choose not to get into keto, then that's you either need to work out what that underlying reason is or that's your priority. You know yeah. you might you you might not want to be you might want to eat low carb but enjoy an occasional wine every now and then I know I'm a mum. it's nice sometimes to have a wine away from the children <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's your priority you know you need to work out what suits you best
0: yeah do you, do you notice any differences between women and men and keto?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. like men uh, like it usually lose a lot of weight fast and quickly. I'm not quite sure whether that it, what that is. I think it's probably around women's hormones, and women are more likely to have probably eaten low fat for quite some amount of time. Where men, you know, some men, I'm I'm just generalising here, but you know, some men probably don't focus so much on what they're eating. They might focus more on going to the gym and exercising. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where women were like, okay, we're doing this whole low fat thing because that's what works. We're, we're looking more at that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I think women, we have more hormonal imbalances due to low-fat diets, due to the lives we lead. I think we tend to probably stress a bit more. I'm saying this kind of hesitantly because I don't like generalizing because everyone's bio-individual. Yeah. But I can definitely see that women have s- different issues to men.
0: Mm-hmm. W- what about fasting? What are your feelings on fasting?
1: I think if you are fat adapted and you've been fat adapted for a while and you're truly listening to your hunger signals, then fasting can be good for some people. So that's a bit of a non answer again. I'm always, I I know like I sound like I'm very kind of fence sittish, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely because. Everyone is so bioindividual individual and it really depends on the circumstances in the case. And if you are the type of person who gets stressed easily, then, you know, that's not going to be good for you to fast. But if you're someone who's been cruising along, you're doing really well, you decided one day that you're just going to skip a few meals, I think that's fine. I'm not sure how I personally feel around the really long fasts yet. I personally have never done one. I've only ever done more like intermittent fasting. And for me, I felt that it was good in some ways, but not something that I would do all the time. So if I woke up one morning thinking that I might fast, but I feel hungry, I'm not going to fast. I'm just going to eat. But the next day, if I wake up and I'm not hungry, then I'm going to listen to my body, provided that I'm definitely fat burning.
0: Yeah, I'm of a similar opinion. And you know, a lot of people are sharing about their fasting experiences, and I just don't think that. I think that if you're ready to fast, it should be natural. Like, when people are trying to force it, to me that means you're not ready to fast. And I also think that it's something that you have to kind of earn. Like, I think you have to be fat-adapted to do it. And I think a lot of people are just kind of, i do not they're not fat-adapted. Like, okay, I'm going to do a three-day fast. And then they're struggling the whole time. And then, you know, it's been three days, and then they eat you know, they just gorge on a huge meal at the end of it. I'm like, this isn't what fasting is supposed to be. It shouldn't be hard if you're meant to do it, in my opinion.
1: I, I totally agree with that. If you are waking up each day and going on Mondays and Tuesdays, I fast. Mm-hmm. and But today's Thursday, so I can't fast, even though I don't feel hungry. That to me is just, you know, putting yourself into food rules again. And that's not going down the right kind of path that you want to go down. But if you are intuitively listening to your body, then and you're fat burning like you said, then you know then that's great. Go for it. But yeah. if it's putting any stress on your body, and then you're going to gorge on food at the end of it or binge eat, then I don't think that's a good thing either.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, speaking of fats, actually, something I I think is interesting is do you ever see people who are having issues because they sort of have an Imbalance of different types of fats, like people who are maybe just like way overdosing on saturated versus monounsaturated, or the other way around, or their omega six to omega three is really out of whack.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I see a lot of people that are already been on paleo or ketogenic diet for a while, and they're coming in to troubleshoot some issues. And yeah, when you're constantly eating. Good the good fats, as we say, your uh, omega six to three ratio can be out of whack mm-hmm. because of that. And you probably need to add a little bit more threes back in. I think that's like walnuts and things like that, yeah. fish uh, flaxseed. Yeah. So um, just getting like a little bit more back into the diet that way. Um, but I normally do my functional evaluation on them and can test to see if that's what's needed in the body.
0: Yeah. I've actually found recently that a lot of clients I know, like their omega 6 to omega 3s are out of balance and like that's why a lot of them have like period issues. And I think that's something that's mm-hmm. pretty overlooked with a lot of women. Um so and then I also think it's interesting like when I first did keto, I think I went way too hard on the saturated fats. <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't going so well with me digestively and then it took some tweaking to make sure i was kind of balanced out with my monounsaturated to saturated so that's why i was just asking i think it's it's really interesting cuz i think some people can kind of lean in one direction
1: i think that is really interesting like how did you go when you were eating carnival does that kind of well yeah mess
0: it up? that messed it up big time and i think that's why i mean after about 2 weeks I like Crash and burned, and I do think that was part of why I was feeling so crappy at the end of it. Part of it was just like so much saturated fat, um, and I mean I don't buy into genetic testing completely. You know, there's so much epigenetics is real. You know, but I, my genes, my genes tell me I'm I don't handle saturated fat that well, and I should focus more on monounsaturated fat. But I've also noticed from experience that that's definitely important for me digestively and almost just like I get kind of like sluggish and like bloated Um, and so for me I know that it's important for me to kind of make sure I have a balance of both.
1: Yeah definitely I think that's really important. The other thing I'm really find really important is that women and I see a lot of women around my age group I'm 40 uh, coming to me with kind of like you know maybe period issues menstruation issues or kind of those uh, endocrine type issues and they are looking to kind of they're going through early menopause or they're looking at trying to kind of balance out their hormones and i think that from the age of say we'll say around 30-ish to 40-ish, we don't focus a lot on ourselves as such. We Mm -hmm. are a lot of, you know, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of women are having families during that time and they focus a lot on the family. And they're really not setting their body up for perimenopause or menopause to come later. And, you know, we know as nutritional therapy practitioners that there's so many people out there that think it's normal to have cramping and um, pe- like period issues, uh, PMS symptoms, and then we also know that we see, a lot of people think it's normal to have hot flushes when they get to menopause and have all those kind of symptoms that that, that go with it, but in fact it's not normal to have any of those mm-hmm. and I'm really f- am becoming quite passionate about, especially because I 'm going through that perimenopausal stage of preparing our bodies as best we can for menopause. So that we don't end up having all those issues. I don't wanna I don't wanna get to fifty, late fifties or sixties or whenever it is that it happens and be foggy brained and hot flushes and yeah. feeling terrible. You know, I wanna prepare my body as best as I can now, ready for that stage.
0: Yeah. So what are some things that people can do to prepare themselves?
1: Well, I think it's definitely the diet, so really good fats, getting those in there to help balance out the hormones and imbalance now as we've been talking about it. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, just fueling yourself with the nutrient-dense foods as much as possible so that you're not depleted in any of your, um, like, zinc or, you know, um, hormone levels or anything like that. And also, like, Allowing ourselves to take breaks during that period, because and focus on ourselves a bit more, like that whole lifestyle kind of, of thing. Because I I find and I I know myself where if you're a busy working mum or you know you're busy working all the time, you don't tend to focus on yourself so much. You're giving a lot to everybody else. But now it's I'm telling you, it's okay. You need to start focusing on yourself a bit more, ready for these events that happen in your life.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important one and very overlooked like and I'm definitely realizing that more and more with everyone I work with I'm like it's all coming down to like we need to manage the stress because it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what you're eating or what supplements you're taking if you're just so stressed out you're you're fighting your body you know like and I think people just really it's hard for them to believe that and wrap their heads around
1: it it's so true and it just seems like you know, we can't avoid the stress that we have in our lives, you know, whether it's self-imposed stress or it's stress from outside sources, but we definitely need to learn ways to manage it better. Mm-hmm.
0: Having two kids, like what are some things you do to sort of mitigate stress? Because you have a lot going on.
1: <laughs> I've always got a lot going on and I'm I'm telling everybody to manage their stress and sometimes <laughs> I think I need to take a lesson from myself. But I guess It's about being prepared and organized. I know a lot of people feel, you know, I I always come back to the food, but a lot of people feel that they can't do this kind of way of eating. There's lots of things that can help you in the kitchen. Like I have a pressure cooker, which I think is similar to you guys, have the instant pot. Yeah. (laughs) And – and, I mean, like you can get nutrient-dense real food on the table in 20 minutes when you have one of those. Mm-hmm. I just throw everything in there. It's like it's been slow cooking for hours and it's only taken 20 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think also not over – I try not to over put too much things in the calendar, like kind of put too much on. Like I I find that – the the kids need a break as well. We don't want to fill up every afternoon after school with an extracurricular activity or sports or something like that. We, they need to have a break as well. So I think that just adds stress to to yourself when you're and, and the children when you're trying to do too many things at once. So we, we try to have one afternoon or a few, sorry, a few afternoons where we will just come home and just chill. They'll just go to their rooms and play or, or we might just go for a a walk around the block after school just to wind down rather than filling it with sporting events and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that our culture really glorifies like always being busy. And I don't know, I think that a lot of us, or at least I have dealt with this, just feeling guilty if I'm not doing something that I think of as productive. Yeah definitely. Um, But then it burns you out when you, when you never take time off. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a hard lesson because you feel like you need to be doing something all the time in order to achieve. Mm -hmm. And actually the harder thing to think about is, is actually stopping and doing nothing. And my children, they just, they never seem to be, um, have ever felt boredom do you remember as a kid you would be bored at times yeah oh, what am I gonna do I think it's okay to be bored you know yeah. that gives you space to stop and and just do nothing but my children are like if they say they're bored it's like five five minutes <laughs> I'm like <Yeah>. guys <laughs> you can be bored for a bit longer I think it's a good thing
0: <laughs> I know I I was talking about that with someone else recently I'm like I remember when I was younger having periods where I was like I'm bored. And I don't even know the meaning of the word anymore, and I need I need some boredom back in my life. I think
1: definitely. I think I even remember a time on TV because we didn't have Netflix and all of that, and um, you'd be bored just watching TV. You'd be so bored from TV, just get Mm -hmm. up and do something else. I've seen my kids when they're bored, they'll just flip between. Netflix or Stan or or whatever the station is, you know, like to find a whole lot of another thing. So they're never bored with what's on. So you have to really like go and turn the TV off to make them go and do something else.
0: Yeah. We have too many choices now. Like there's always something, there's no way to be bored because if there's not something on that channel, there's another channel or there's a movie or there's an iPad or there's a game or there's like, there's always some type of stimulation.
1: Exactly. And feeling hungry. That's another one as well. Like some children just don't know what it's like to feel hungry. I mean, it's okay to go half an hour before dinner and not have something to eat so that you're really hungry so that you eat your dinner. Mm -hmm. And we try and do that with our kids. But sometimes my son will be there crying going, you're so mean. I'm so hungry. And I'm like, dinner will be there in five minutes. Just it's okay to feel hungry for a little bit. (laughs)
0: yeah people are really afraid of hunger i think um but then vice versa i guess it depends on your population because i also deal with a lot of people who are afraid of feeling full which is a whole other issue Mm, yeah (laughs) Um, that's true i think that in general all of our hunger signals are kind of out of whack thanks to modern society and the
1: availability of food (laughs) definitely yeah couldn't agree. I'm, I'm
0: curious if like when you come to the U.S., is there anything that you notice about, I don't know, any health trends we have or things we do that you think is really bizarre?
1: Uh, I just – when you order – I ordered some bacon and eggs, expecting <laughs> like in Australia when you order bacon and eggs, you get some couple of beautiful eggs, some bacon, and then you get a whole plate of veggies with it. <laughs> and here – Oh, sorry, when I went to the US, I was like, I just got a piece of bacon and two eggs and a whole stack of potatoes. Like there was yeah. potatoes with every meal that I had. So much to the point where I was like, I wonder if they're, if I say no, what is it called? Homestyle fries? Is that yeah, what you call them? Yeah. With everything. And I was like, I wonder if I asked them, can they swap that out for, you know, some mushrooms? Do they have mushrooms? <laughs> you know, I was like, it
0: depends where you are. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the norm here to serve all the all the fatty greasy carbs to get people to eat more honestly mm. you know to keep us hungry keep us eating more ordering that's more. right i'm jealous i didn't know that and it also, was the norm for vegetables to be served over there
1: <laughs> oh yeah we yeah and especially if you say no toast they'll definitely fill the plate up with extra veggies for you which is really great i think i'm really spoiled in australia with our food that we have here because Quite often when I was over, I'd ask someone for a recommendation of a restaurant and they'd say, Oh, I love this one. It's so fantastic. And we'd go down there and have a really kind of mediocre style meal. And I'd think, Oh, that's not what I'd say it was a fantastic meal. But maybe that's the difference between the quality of food that we're having and the and the quality that you guys I'm I mean, I'm sure there's some really fantastic restaurants that you guys have that I haven't been to, but I just think maybe there's a there is a bit of a difference there,
0: yeah, I think there is too I mean I haven't been to Australia, but from what I see and the people I talk to because I have quite a full quite a few friends and clients who are in Australia and like from what I can gather, it seems like it's more it's healthier overall than it is here um, and we have some good places, but that's why at the end of the day like. I would much rather cook my own food than ever go out no matter where it is.
1: Yeah. I went crazy in Whole Foods cuz we don't have anything like that. And <laughs> it was almost like to the extreme cuz it it's we don't have a lot of products that are like healthy products, you know, mm-hmm. like if I go to if I go to my local health store, we might have three or four packets of beef jerky and only one I can choose that's definitely paleo-friendly and the other two are a bit And when I was in Whole Foods, I was like, there's a whole wall of jerky and they're all okay to eat, you
0: know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but that's that's the problem though. Like on the one hand, all these packaged, quote, paleo foods are helpful for people to get them to eat better ingredients and make it more accessible. But on the other hand, it's to the detriment. Like that's one of the most common mistakes that people – I see people making because they're just living off of packaged paleo foods and like just because it's labeled paleo doesn't mean it's healthy and also like it's still a packaged processed food which is really easy for people to overeat like especially paleo baked goods I feel like have just like blown up and so people Mm -hmm. think that because it's labeled paleo and it's so accessible they could just eat it all the time I'm like no (laughs)
1: I so agree with that. And that was exactly the the kind of full, the pitfall I went into, you know, it was just definitely like, oh, that's got paleo and I'm okay to eat that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm eating cake every day kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, and same with the packaged foods. And it was eye-opening to see such a huge place full of so much food like that. And I think, wow is that feeding everyone or does it just sit on the shelf like
0: (laughs) we yeah we definitely don't um want for any food here that's for sure but I think that it kind of instills bad habits in people because we're just people still that people feel so entitled to having things just ready for them whereas I feel like I don't know I feel like it's more the norm over there to like cook for yourself and like lean more towards on actual whole foods versus here people can say, oh, I'm paleo but still live off of packaged food.
1: Yeah, that's true. And you you wouldn't be able to in Australia because you'd only be eating, you know, a small amount of products. We just don't have the same products. And I guess it is kind of opening up a bit more and we are getting a few more things through from the U.S. I just noticed that like mm-hmm. Primal Kitchen is starting to send their
0: oh. mayos and
1: stuff over here. Cool. Which is good as an option for you
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: we haven't there has not been a mayo that I've been able to find pre-made in Australia with good oils in it and you know real ingredients until then so I make mayo at home if I want mayo
0: yeah I think honestly I think that's better though because I think that's like natural I hate to use this term but like natural portion control like Mm -hmm. I know like for me I think everyone knows I love mayo And there was just a period of time because it was so accessible to me and I had so much of it where I was just eating, I mean, I was going through like a jar a day and I felt like crap. Like I I was just eating way too much mayo um, all the time. And then I thought, okay, if I had to actually make this myself, there's no way I'd be eating this, this much, you know, like, so I think that that accessibility, I mean, we're all human and we all like want that reward factor and we're kind of. Intrinsically lazy, so I think that it's kind of a positive that you don't have as many of those packaged options.
1: Yeah, I think it's good, but it's also fun when I come over to the US. I'll be over again yeah. in March, so uh, I'll be—I ta- will be taking a fun little trip to Whole Foods, but I won't be going as crazy that time. <laughs> I'll just be picking up a few, a few little things that are worth trying. Yeah, I love seeing. Like people that I like following on Instagram stories, and I see them doing product reviews of foods. Like, there's some good brands that you guys have, like Sieta. Oh, yeah, Sieta. Uh, really, yeah, Siete, Yeah, I really want to try their stuff, so I'll probably go to Whole Foods and pick up a couple of their things to try. Yeah, just because it looks so good.
0: You should, and it makes well. Pr- you probably appreciate it much more than people who are just used to it, like yeah, that's every right. day. Are you coming for the NTA conference?
1: I am. I will be over in March for the NTA conference, and then I will be going to low carb Denver after that.
0: Okay, isn't that is that overlapping with your husband's birthday?
1: Uh, it will It's not his birthday until a month or so later, but I've kind of coined it to him as his birthday trip, so oh, okay. <laughs> we're going over for my conferences and uh, slash doing some fun things in Denver for his birthday.
0: Ooh, fun. Yeah, Denver will be really fun. That's exciting. Well, if I yeah. go to the NTA conference, then I'll get to see you again.
1: Yeah, that'll be great fun. Yeah. Get to hang out. We can do a trip to Whole Foods then oh, together. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> I'll show you. I'll tell you what's worth it and what's not. I'll let you Some know the, the good products. Um, yes. I'm excited. But okay, well, thank you so much for coming on and t- chatting. This was so fun. And you shared. So much good info. Would you mind telling my audience where they can find more from you?
1: Sure. I am at nourishingconversations.com. That's my website. And then on Instagram most of the time. So that's <laughs> just at, at nourishingconversations that's probably the main places to find me, and I also have a podcast which uh, is called Low Carb Conversations, and you can go back and listen to your Christina's episode on there, which yeah. was a lot of fun.
0: That was a fun episode. Those articles were great. We talked all about carnivore. <laughs> some millennials yeah millennials (laughs) avocado what was it? avocado toast chocolate that was
1: oh yeah that was maybe you can show me some of that when I'm over there
0: oh yeah I will show you some of that (laughs) I don't think you'll like that though I don't think I like it either oh my gosh terrible (laughs) amazing okay well thank you again so much for coming on um I think people are gonna love this and we'll chat again soon
1: thanks for having me
0: thanks again for tuning into this episode i hope that you enjoyed this chat with leah as much as i did make sure that you check her out on her website nourishingconversations.com and say hi to her on instagram at nourishing conversations and check out her podcast low carb conversations lots of conversations really great conversations If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure that you share it and make sure you leave a rating and a review on iTunes and that you're subscribed. All of those things really help me get the word out about the podcast and I want to keep growing the community, spreading the love, and make sure that you're in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. I would love to get to know you in there. It's a really great group of people and you can get to know other listeners other like-minded individuals. That's all I have for you this episode. I hope you have an amazing day and I will talk to you again next time. Bye.